thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. Well, thank you. Uh, we're going to have an enjoyable time today, so if you have your word or some gadget that you want to bring the scriptures up on, we're also going to use the screen. We're going to talk about this first message on this series that will lead us up to December 25th. And the title, as you see on your notes, is Don't Miss It. Say that with me. Don't miss it. Now turn to a neighbor. Don't miss it. Uh, I'm just looking around real quick to see who doesn't do it, and then I'm going to, no. don't miss it. I want you to let that sink in. We're going to be in Gospel of Luke to launch this in chapter 1 in the first four verses where we read these words. Many, Luke says, the physician, have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the, the word. So Luke says, the physician, he said, listen, many have taken up this, this project. Many have put together uh, some of the events, what happened, uh, Jesus being born, et cetera, et cetera, and put them together in books. He said, but then he goes on to say, with this in mind, since I myself carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write, he says, an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, which means lover of God, so that you may know the certainty, say certainty, the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now, I guess you could speculate or guesstimate why Luke needed to write another account. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, although the things that we read about the Christmas, around Christmas time, the birth of Christ, are recorded in Matthew and in Luke only. So why did Luke do this? Well, I think because he's a physician, he wanted to find out for himself. <laughs> he's an educated man. He just said, listen, I, I know these guys, I believe these guys, but I gotta find this out myself. So he went on a journey to investigate. Now when they investigated, you have to understand this, and here's how that you can put your trust in the Word of God, in the Bible, is that they went, and these are first century people, so they were there at the time Jesus was born. They were there as Jesus grew up, etc., etc., etc. So they went back to some of these people and they begin to inquire of them. Now, tell me, how did you see it come, come down? How did, how did it go down? What happened around the birth? And so he begins to put this together and he says, he said, I want you to know of a surety. I, I want you to know without a certain of a doubt that these things are true. You can believe them. You can trust them. So we have him giving these words as he launches on into his account. Things that happened just prior to Jesus' birth that involved Elizabeth and Zacharias, etc., etc., etc. And then he takes us on from there. So I'm just going to use that as a launching text to move us into what we're going to focus in on, what Christmas is all about. I don't know about you, but I love to celebrate Christmas. I love what my wife does around the house, and she decorates, and, 
and uh, it's just such a warmth. There's a, a feeling in the house and the smells of the, the candles and the, the bakings and all of those things. I, I don't know. It just brings a kind of a, first of all, a chill down my spine, but also a warmth in my heart as I begin to think about the birth of Christ. It means something to me, and hopefully it means something to you. Luke begins the account that lead up to the birth of Jesus. It's a celebration of Jesus Christ and his birth. But what I want us to do, I want you to put on your thinking caps now, just for the next few moments, as we begin to pull off some of the layers of trimmings that have accumulated over the last 2,000 years. So each year you have something added and now we're down to 2017, 18 approaching and there's a whole lot of layers that are there. I think we need to begin to pull back some of them so that we really can get to the heart of what was happening, what God was accomplishing at that particular time. I want all of us to begin to think about these days ahead and don't let them go by without getting something out of it fresh and new. 22 days we have left and we'll be there on Christmas. Do you believe it? December 25th. Uh, so, it seems to me that Christmas draws a line of separation in what I would call the sands of society. The, the birth of Christ really draws a line. And hopefully you begin to see it as I elaborate on this a little bit. In the sands, it's a line of separation. When you think of his coming to this world, what evolves is a, is a formation of two groups of people. What happens in Bethlehem and what happened in Bethlehem divides the world into these two groups of people, and you have them on your notes. Number one, it's a group of people that rejected what God did. And the second group of people is simply those who received what God did. Those who were apathetic to what went down and those who acknowledged that something great went down on that day that forever changed history. There are those to this day that are, that are drawn to behold the wonder and the majesty of Christ. And it begins there in Christmas, in a manger. There are those that are distant, and they don't really care about what the season really is. As long as they get what is on their wish list, that's all that matters to them. Jesus really does divide society into two groups. The Gospel of John, in the first chapter, verses 10, 11, and 12, this becomes real clear. Because John says that when he came, some rejected and some received the message. There really isn't any middle ground when it comes to Jesus, is there? There's no middle ground. You're either in or out. You either love him or you don't love him. Either believe or you don't believe. The line was drawn, and it had its beginnings. Think about this. Right where we're at now in this season we're about to celebrate. It, it had its beginnings in the town of Bethlehem. That line begins to be drawn. And now the world has its choice. Either embrace what happened 
or walk away from what happened. Bethlehem. We've all heard the word over and over again, especially during the season, we'll sing about it. But it has a little bit of history to it. That's where Ruth and Boaz, Naomi, you remember Ruth, who was a Gentile, meets Boaz and marries Boaz and becomes of the lineage of Jesus Christ. That is a miracle and a message in and of itself that this Gentile woman would become a relative, if you will. Bethlehem was chosen and talked about uh, for 700 years at least before Christ came. <laughs> Bethlehem was mentioned by a prophet named Micah 700 years before Jesus was born. And we hear these words, from you one will go forth for me to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth are as from a long ago from the day of eternity. It only could be talking about one person, God. Jesus Christ is from eternity beginning to end. So God only can talk about the future in advance, even 700 years into the future. More than these that we have on television, they're trying to predict the stock market. Listen, there are those that God used that were able to predict what was happening 1,000 years ahead. And we are witnesses to that they came to pass. Only God could do that. So Bethlehem becomes a dividing line in the world between those who acknowledge that God was at work in that town and those who missed what God was doing. Say, don't miss it with me. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Bethlehem is so much more than a town. Now, catch this. It's more than a town. It's more than a city there in Judea. You might never been in Bethlehem or you might never go to Bethlehem but Bethlehem is more than a location it's a transformation it's a transformation Bethlehem is a place where God's promises are made good Bethlehem is a place where life moves in a new direction Bethlehem is a place where God's glory is seen in new ways in your life and my life Bethlehem is where you encounter, experience, and embrace a living Christ who has come to change and transform your life. Something happens to you when you go to Bethlehem. Not the location. When you go to the whole understanding and revelation of what God has been setting up for decades and centuries and that was bringing it to pass that would change all of our hearts. I have to share this with you, just on the front row over there, just worshiping, simply worshiping God. I flash back to now 47 years ago when I first came to Christ, and I remember sitting in the front row of the original Faith Bible Chapel down there in Ninth and Oklahoma. I don't know why I got that flashback right then, but I thought, it's as glorious to me now as it was then. I love it. I love what God does in people's lives. I, I, I love to hear the testimonies. I love to watch people being baptized. And I, I weep and I pray over them that they'll never turn their backs on Christ because it's what it's all about. That's what God does. Take the trimmings away. Take all that away. And that's at the heart of who God is. 
reaching out to a lost world without condemnation, without guilt, without judging, which he said, I didn't come to judge, but to save the world. Yet the devil paints this picture that God is something other than that. Trim away the trappings and see Jesus. Not just to see him in a manger as a baby in a stable, but as a result of that, he becomes a savior to save us from where we were. Bethlehem is the place where God's glory is seen. Bethlehem is that time of life when God draws us closer to Jesus. Bethlehem ought to be that kind of time. You know, all of us in all reality, all people have had a, an ordained Bethlehem in their life. A situation designed to open your heart to a new life in Him. Could have been a personal crisis and all of a sudden you're more sensitive to and aware there's a somber understanding about life and you begin to think maybe it's a national disaster that opens up our eyes and all of a sudden you turn the news on and what do you hear over and over again we need to pray God you hear those words and then the rest when it goes away you don't hear it anymore but it's a crisis that is an opportune moment there's a Bethlehem moment being made available and yet so many people miss it. So Bethlehem really does divide the world. Matthew and Luke, if you put those two accounts together, it's those who are called and come and those who don't even RSVP. It doesn't matter to them. It doesn't do anything to them. Because here you find that there are, there are those like the wise man, magi, who have traveled at least a thousand miles to witness the wonder of Jesus, the majesty. And then there were those who were five miles away that could care less what was going on. Wow. There were those who were of low status, you could say, in societies. The shepherds who come and are there. They were sensitive, they were open, they believed and were there. And then there were those, scribes and priests, educated, prestige. They did not care about what was going on at all. So it is real in life today, in church today. There are those who marvel at the glory of God and the wonder of God. Then there are those who miss it on a daily basis. Something's happening around them every day. God is moving every day, but we miss it. Those who are touched and transformed and those who sit in the presence of God and don't even know he's at work. Those who are called and come, those who stand on the outside wondering where God is in the midst of all I'm going through, and they just think about it, I'm going through all this, and they blame God for it, and they don't see something different, bigger, that's going on. Something that could transform their lives, something that could bring a revelation that you could pass on to a generation, and another generation, another generation. We saw generations up here. 
We saw generations. We saw three, at least three generations. I witnessed several times of people being baptized because it's being passed on. Bethlehem's story is being passed on. Hopefully, baptism doesn't become one of those rituals. Another trimming on all that we do as believers, but it's real to us. That's why we expose it. We do it public. That's why we shout and cheer and clap and pray and weep over these things because it ought to be that new and fresh. A life taking a dip more than getting wet. My granddaughter's over there with me. She said, I'm getting wet. <laughs> Suck it in. That's what it's all about. <laughs> Sad to say, there are those right there. They were right there and they missed it. Right in the proximity of God doing a great work and could not see what God was doing. This season, I believe it will take a work of God's spirit because of all that we've been inundated with that have hardened our hearts and, and kind of brought a fogginess on our minds We'll have to be more intentional and say, God, I want this season to be real to me. Not just the tree, not just the gifts. And I'm for all of it. I'm, I'm for celebrating because each celebration to me just warms my heart and reminds me of Christ. But don't miss it because of those things. Sadly, even today, those who will never experience or see the glory of God. Why? Here's the question, why? Why is it that so many people miss it? Then and now. Number one, because the busy people in Bethlehem. I say those who missed out were the busy people in Bethlehem. Let me explain. Bethlehem under normal circumstances, it's not really a small village. It's about five, six miles from the city of Jerusalem where it sits and uh, to the south. But it's just normal, everyday things happening in that. But something took place, by the hand of God, by the way. A decree went out from Caesar, and the decree was is that I want all the people of the world to go back to their beginnings, back to their roots, their lineage, go back to the hometowns of their fathers and grandfathers and great-great-grandfathers. And a census was gonna be taken. So they had to go back. Mary and Joseph come onto the scene. She's pregnant. She doesn't have any choice. They make this long, arduous journey to Bethlehem. Normally, in that city, like in Eastern culture, there would have been people immediately that saw her would have come out into the streets. They would welcome her and they would try to comfort her and care for her. They would call people to come around and what they could do for this young woman, teenager that was pregnant, going to have a baby and looks like she's ready. Normally, maybe that would have taken place. But not this time. Because of the senses that everyone was coming to Bethlehem that lived in that area for centuries and, and, and it got busy. All the hotels were filled. The restaurants, the reservations, you couldn't get a reservation in a good restaurant. It was all busy. People running here and there and trying to do what they have to do with the senses and as soon as possible get back to their hometown. 
That's where Mary and Joseph found themselves. And as a result, because of the busyness in Bethlehem, there were so many, not just the innkeeper, we put so much on him. I think he did his best. He went out of his way. He was actually really warm to them, to help them. But everybody else is busy. 2017, 2018, so many people are missing out on what God wants to do. Everybody is running and working and climbing up that corporate ladder and trying to get position. Families are stressed. Schedules and agendas, so much available to us. And listen, at the sound of sounding like an old man, with our technology, created to improve our lives, which it does, but it also messes it up quite a bit. It takes us away from real communication. It takes us away from family time. It entertains us when we could be doing something more creative. That's the way I see it. So there is an abuse that comes with what was supposed to be good. But what it does bring is even more busyness. So, so we have these gadgets to make things easier and, and to get things done quicker. And why is it that we're not less busy, but more busy? So busy that oftentimes we miss the glory of what God is doing right around us. I'm convinced that there's something else in play here. And at the sake of sounding spiritual, what is in play here is that there's an enemy and his name is the devil. You know he has an agenda to work against you? Because you belong to God and you, you want to serve him, he has an agenda. And part of that agenda is to keep you so busy. to Your schedule's tight. And he'll throw one more meeting, one more this, one more that. And you don't have time to reflect, to be with children a lot of times. But just to talk about God and just reflect. I'm not talking about being so spiritual, just, just have time to go to another Bible study. No, just do sit and be quiet. To have nothing on your mind because you see, that's where God shows up. In the quiet times, small, still voice that God wants to speak to our hearts. And yeah, does he speak when you're busy? Yes, I know he does. But I think you get what I'm talking about here in the midst of it all. So this enemy is scheming. He's working. He's walking about trying to deceive who can deceive and jam up their schedule and keep them busy and away from God and away from the fellowship of believers. Somewhat like uh, the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain, manipulating the controls to bring fear in people's hearts. It's the devil there. We have to come to the place of maturity, recognize he's there and shut him down. Pull back the curtain. Expose him for what he is. And then don't allow him to have a place in your life. God wants us to draw closer to him, closer to him, busy. We come to believe that busy means important. So someone asks you how things are going, you tell them how busy you are. 
because that sounds important. So busy you can't even slow down enough to take in the glory of God during this season. Let me ask you a question, serious question. Is your hunger for success and acceptance, prestige, or anything else in this world, your hunger for anything else in this world, greater than your hunger for righteousness? When you wake up in the morning, I'm serious about this, is the first thing you do is you, you think about the things you have to do. Now, I know I'm tempted. I've gone through it. I do it. I'm not saying I'm free of it, but in the whole of things, is that what you do every day? Or do you really make an effort say, God, good morning. <laughs> I have a busy schedule today, and I know that, but God, I want to see you in my schedule. I want to see you in the midst of what I have to do and accomplish today because some of it's out of my control. But Lord, nothing's out of your control and I want to be drawn closer so open up my eyes and my understanding that I can see you right here. And I, I keep saying, especially this season, I say it again, especially this season, but it ought to be the whole year. Are your desires for the things of the world stronger than your desire for the glory and the presence of God? Busy people in Bethlehem. There's another group of people, and let's call this the religious people of Jerusalem. The religious people of Jerusalem. Because we read in Matthew here, or in uh, chapter 2, and verses 1 through 4. Let's bring it up here. I just want to bring this in quickly so what I say ahead will not be so foreign to you. And Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, during the time of King Herod. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born, King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. So he had these magi that have come to Jerusalem. Just a little clarification of magi. It probably wasn't just three, although it's okay. That's all will fit on the stage sometime with the player have but three magi, but there's probably a group of magi. They were the astrologers. We get our word magic from it, but they were, they, they were able to read in the future. There's an Old Testament prophet named Balaam. He was actually thought to be a magi, and he had a prophecy for Israel. So they, they were considered well-educated philosophers, astrologers, respected. They probably had a whole entourage with them. Could have been several hundred people. Maybe even a, a battalion or some, some uh, soldiers to protect them because it was a long journey. It was very arduous and dangerous on the way. That's just a little side note to it. But get a picture of these magi coming in because it said King Herod. He came to King Herod. But all Jerusalem was somehow stirred. A lot of folks. King Herod, they came to inquire about him. 
And they asked King Herod, where is this king, this Messiah that is to be born? And get this now. (laughs) They called on the priests and the, the scribes at this particular time. And as they came to Herod, because Herod had no idea, he was clueless, if you've known who he is in history, he's appointed king by Rome over Judah. He doesn't know. He calls for the scribes because he believes they'll know. Now these scribes read the Bible every single day. Every single day. Every single day they're reading the scripture. They even quote a scripture that comes out of Micah that we vaguely mention that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. They quote the scripture. The star that they mention, they say, we saw his star, his star, and that star led us here. So the star first led them to Jerusalem. Guess where the star was while he was talking to Herod and the priests and all of Israel? In the sky. It was still shining bright. Everybody saw it. So they quote the scripture, they see the star, and Herod says, well, you go and you come back and tell me I want to come and worship him. Why is it that nobody went? I don't know about you, but if I would have been there listening to that and this guy said, listen, see that star? Wow, that's so different from all the other stars that that led you. And the scripture reminds these people of Israel in their Judaism that their prophets 700 years ago told about this. Can I go with you? Can I, can I join this guy that's going? Can I be there with you? That would have stirred me. But nobody. Nobody. Dull. In the whole thing. Is that today? Dull of hearing? Not aware that the miraculous has happened around them? That there's a star out there. And there's scripture that's being fulfilled right now. Do we see the signs? Or do we miss it? So the wise men go. How is it that those who read the scriptures every single day, who see the sign and the stars all around them, stars and signs, and have no clue what God is doing? How can this be? Totally ignorant about what God is doing, right in their own neighborhood. Let me try to tell you, clear it up. Because like so many people, when they read or heard the story that is told of Jesus' birth, it's not a life-changing experience. They limit the power of the Word of God. They limit the Spirit from bringing new and fresh revelation. Let me bring this home a little bit. In America, we are blessed We hear the Christmas story over and over again. Years ago, we fought to get that message in the parade, the parade of lights that just took place Friday and Saturday, which our float is still in. We had a fight for that, to get something religious in a religious holiday. Duh. (laughs) Don't get me going on that one again. That was 20 years ago and I was on it. (laughs) We hear the Christmas story. 
we sing the songs. We listen to the songs of Christmas. We call this a holiday season, which should mean holy day. Yet so many miss it. We miss out on the opportunity to draw closer to the Savior, Jesus. You know, Paul said something sobering, and you ought to listen to this. Paul, in his writings, said that in the last days, 2 Timothy tells us, there will be those who have a form of godliness but denying the power. In other words, they're not being transformed by the Spirit of God. They have a form of godliness so they can know all the things I just mentioned, but they're not transformed, they're not changed. Their heart isn't softened. Because they're denying. You say, I'll never outright deny the power of God. I think it goes beyond that. Outright, you could be quietly denying the power of God. And that you have to look in your own heart and say, is that what's happening to me? Is that why I don't have this relationship? Is that why I feel distant? Is that why I'm still the grouchy old person I was? Is that why I still do illegal businesses, etc., etc.? Paul warned us, Bethlehem is much more than a city where Jesus was born. Bethlehem is more than a location. It's a transformation. You'll miss it if you're too busy. You'll miss it if you're not searching. If there's no hunger in your heart. You'll miss it if your head is only filled with the letter of God's word and not being transformed by God's word. You'll miss it if this Christmas is only on a list of other holidays. You'll miss it if you don't stop and open up your heart and believe that God is still at work. To come to Christ, you must lay down some things. You've got to lay down some pride and realize that you cannot save yourself. You see, Jesus was born as a Savior. Why? We needed a Savior. Well, not me. Really? That's pride speaking. That's stubbornness speaking. Sorry. I had a face that day, and I face it all the time. Lay down my pride in order for God to work in my heart. To see the Jesus in the manger, you're going to have to leave the penthouse. To see the glory, you're going to have to leave the glamour. God has so much more for us this season. This is only the beginning. This could be a great season of revelation, understanding, stirring of our hearts. We could move steps, steps closer to our Lord and become what He wants us to become. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.